Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to this week's show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. I hope all of you are safe and doing the very best you can during these very difficult times. We all know what's going on in Michigan and every other state, really everywhere in the world. Have a nose turning on the TV or radio doesn't do much to uplift our spirits or relieve anxieties. We don't have many diversions right now, but for the next half hour or so, I'll do my best to get your mind off of what's happening all around us. Last week, I mentioned that we would have Steve Lorenz on this week to talk recruiting. As you may have guessed, there isn't much going on right now, so Steve and I decided we'd hold off until April. Instead, we're going to talk Michigan hoops. It's hard to believe at this time of the year, in a normal sports world, we would be ready for the Sweet 16 this weekend. Who knows? Jawan Howard and his team might still be alive and giving us another fun ride in March. They aren't, though. Instead, we are left to wonder what might have been. My guest today says he thinks Michigan had the pieces to make it to the second weekend of the tournament. Again, we'll never know. But it was an interesting first season with Juwan Howard at the helm, one of highs and lows, injuries, and facing a Big Ten schedule that was absolutely brutal. We'll discuss all of that and what looks to be a very bright future for Michigan basketball with our guest today. Joining us next on game day is beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. Here on The Michigan Man, in partnership with our friends at SB Nation's Maze and Brew. So stay with us. Here with us on our game day segment this week is Michigan beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. James, hope all is well with you and we welcome you back to the show. Good to be back. Well, as we messaged back and forth last week, James, about setting up a time to tape, you mentioned that uh, we had to reschedule last week because the Detroit News was trying to figure out just what to do with the sports section, and I'm sure that's uh, the same case all over the country as far as content goes, and it's not going to get any easier anytime soon, is it? No, yeah, it's kind of a uh, wild times that we're in right now. It's just uh, with the entire sports world coming to the screeching halt, you know, last week due to the coronavirus pandemic so definitely uh, unprecedented times and it's going to be uh interesting to see how long this how long this lasts for because I mean, you know they're talking about you know this maybe going into the summer sometime and it's like man it's already only been like what one week and it's like we might have a couple more months of this it's kind of it's already been a, a pretty long 10 days it seems like or something like that and then you think if this has to go on for another couple months it's gonna maybe seem like it's gonna take a year but um but yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, sports being put on the back burner is not a big deal concerning uh, that uh, this, uh, you know, everybody's health and safety is probably a, a much more paramount and important issue. But yeah, it's definitely unprecedented times that we are we are all going through. And I think everyone um, is just trying to, you know, figuring out the best way how to how to navigate this uh, situation. Well, absolutely. And as uh, we've been mentioning, it could go on, uh, hopefully not into the summer, but it's a day by day, week by week situation. So uh, we need our our diversions during this point in history. And of course, with sports, 
there's really nothing to divert our attention right now. But And we've talked about how tough it is for the Detroit News and for everyone to uh, get content out there right now. But you ran a background piece on yourself last week, which I, th- I found interesting. One of the things you mentioned is that you were not related to legendary sports writer Jim Hawkins. And a lot of us remember him very well. He was an outstanding writer. But did you get that question a lot from readers over the last few years? Yeah, that's honestly one of the uh, the most asked questions I, I ever get, <laughs> especially when I first started. Like this was this past season was my fourth season on the Michigan basketball beat. And when I first started, that was probably the most asked question that I got in my email. Well, not even about Michigan basketball. It was just a lot of people asking me if I was related to to Jim Hawkins. No, but I mean, yeah, it's just like I said in that in that story too. It's kind of ironic because my dad's name is Jim as well. Yeah. Um, but he is just not the the sports writer. I mean, we might be related somewhere down the line. I don't know, but um, but yeah, as far as I know, we're not any uh you know direct relation or anything like that. It's just a coincidence that we both have a a pretty pretty awesome last name. <laughs> well, he was a great writer, so you're in good company there. You know, it seems like uh, time really has been dragging since that Wednesday. Wednesday in Indianapolis when Big Ten Tournament was canceled almost two weeks ago now on Wednesday. Then the NCAA canceled uh, the tournament shortly thereafter. Talk about what it was like to be courtside that Wednesday, James, 15 minutes before tip-off, and then everything stopped. It had to be a surreal experience for everyone there. Yeah, it was a very strange environment. Like, just going back to the the night before that Wednesday night when everything was happening with the NBA, they were suspending play and just everything. It was just like a, a domino effect. It seemed ever since, like, you know, it came up that Rudy Gobert had tested positive for the, the COVID-19, and then it was just a domino effect with the NBA suspending it, and then the NHL was, said they were going to look into it. And then there was the whole incident with at the Big Ten tournament when they had those first two uh, first two games with Nebraska coach Fred Hoiberg looked absolutely miserable on the sideline, and he was sick, and there's the whole, you know, concern that maybe he had it too, that, you know, he was putting like, you know, his team and, and it, uh, the other teams that were playing at Bankers Life that night uh, at risk. So it was just a, a snowball effect that night before. And I mean, once once the NBA suspended play, you're kind of thinking like, there's no way the NCAA is going to trot out, you know, these college athletes that aren't getting paid, you know, to put their health at risk when you have the NBA suspending play, when these guys are making millions of dollars and you're not even going to risk putting them out on the court. So, I mean, just that night before, uh, I just remember staying, I stayed up, I think, until about like one in the morning just because I was kind of waiting for them to announce that maybe they were just going to cancel the rest of the tournament just given, you know, that the NBA had taken that first step. And the big thing was, you know, following it on Twitter, seeing what happened with, you know, Hoiberg because he got taken to the hospital and then their team was like in a, you know, being quarantined in a locker room. Uh, for a short amount of time, but then it came back that, you know, Hoiberg just tested for influenza A, and then their team went back to the hotel. Um, and then, yeah, I remember the next morning waking up and then, you know, still saying that, uh, okay, it's still on for right now, and then going over to Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And, uh, I mean, I honestly never thought they were going to play, but it still was just very strange that it got to that point where, yeah. you know, Michigan and Rutgers were both on the court warming up. And, uh yeah, it was, you know, a completely empty arena. Um, there was not a lot of media on hand, um, honestly, to be uh, first off. I mean, there was maybe only like 20 plus people on hand, but then it was it was right after, you know, usually teams before games, they go through like two two stages of warm-ups. You know, they usually go out for their first set and they go back to the locker room for their you know, their last meeting with the coaches and they go out for their final, final tune-ups. And it was when they came back out for their final set of warm-ups, you know, you had like 
Brandon Johns and Luke Wilson and them were, you know, just like, you know, trying to pump up the imaginary crowd, which is, you know, kind of funny. They're trying to make light of the situation. <laughs> and then after a couple minutes, then kind of just both teams just stopped and they just both started like walking off the court. And then it was kind of at that moment, I think everyone kind of realized that, you know, this was getting, getting called off. But it was a very, very, yeah, like you said, it was a very surreal, strange environment situation to kind of be in. But I, I was surprised that it even got to that point where, and records were even warming up on that Thursday. But ultimately, I think that the the right move was made, obviously. I mean, health and safety is more, more important than, you know, these guys playing in because it would have been a, a terrible look for, you know, the Big Ten to go on with the tournament, you know, and then the coming out where, you know, a, a student athlete, you know, comes down or tests positive for coronavirus just because that would, obviously, I don't know how they could carry on with that situation. So I think it was obviously... With something like this, you know, a health pandemic, it's obviously better to be more proactive than reactive in that situation. Right. Well, when Ward Manuel made the announcement to the team that the tournament was over and why, he was followed by Juwan Howard, who talked to the team, and then each individual player to tell them why he enjoyed coaching them, what they meant to the team. From what I've read, the players and everyone in that locker room said Ward and Juwan did a phenomenal job. Have you talked to anyone who was actually present in the locker room for those presentations to get their take on it? We haven't actually had any sort of availability since that game got canceled just because um, I think Michigan, they left there shortly after the game was canceled and we haven't had any sort of a uh, postseason availability with uh, Coach Juwan Howard or any of the players yet. So we haven't really gotten to get anyone's take on what has happened. So the only thing like that I've been able to see is the stuff that they've reported, you know, on like M- MGO Blue TV or from, you know, their, their athletics uh, website. But yeah, I mean, I think just from gathering, what you know, I think Juwan Howard did a, did a radio, his, his um, you know, radio show on Inside Michigan Basketball and it seemed like a lot of guys kind of took it the you know the hardest just because it was you know Xavier Xavier Simpson and John Teske's last game and the one thing I've kept hearing is you know just how emotional a lot of guys were just because you know their two leaders and their season just kind of ends in that way and obviously it's a kind of an unfair situation for them to have and you know that they they kind of don't get to go out on their own terms but but yeah we haven't had any availability or been able to speak with any of the players or, you know, any of the coaches since that, since that has happened. Um, but hopefully we will maybe this week or maybe next week or something just to kind of get a better take on, you know, kind of that what happened and what that, that whole morning was like for them to go through. Well, after the season ended, after that announcement was made, the team packed right up, came home to Ann Arbor, and then they scattered uh, because there wasn't even, you know, class physically to attend and there was no banquet, no NCAA tournament, just a, really a few moments to say goodbye and that just had to be jarring and bizarre for everyone around the program James yeah I mean it's a, it's an it's a weird situation I don't even know if uh if you know Juwan Hart I mean typically you know at the end of the season you kind of go through exit interviews with your players and you kind of talk to guys to kind of gauge you know what their what their plans are for next season so like I said it kind of it doesn't help that we haven't had you know any availability or been able to speak with any of you know the players or or coaches just to kind of see how that whole process went. If like you know Coach Howard has been able to speak with each guy after the season, or if like once they got back to Ann Arbor, like you said, if guys are just scattered just because you know with obviously the you know the in person instruction being shut down at uh, all the universities in the state and you know everything moving strictly to online instruction. So I mean I don't know how long guys were were on campus if they were only there for a couple of days and then left home or if you know if guys want as soon as they got back if they started heading home so it's kind of a whole weird situation that we really don't know kind of how everything has played out but yeah like I said it's just I don't know 
I don't even know if the coaches are on campus too, or if they kind of all flew back to you know back home because I mean right now you know too they kind of have a it's kind of interesting to see what they'd be doing with recruiting since the the season just ended, but you're not able to do anything in person, you're not able to fly out anywhere, you're not able to bring anyone in. So you know I would imagine a lot of them are maybe working the phones a lot to kind of get in touch with recruits and kind of you know stay in touch with the uh, you know guys that they're they're on the recruiting trail with. So yeah, it's just a very very odd situation you know and i, I mean i can mm-hmm. only speculate as to as to what's been going on just because we haven't been able to get anyone but uh yeah it's definitely unlike anything any you know anyone's had to deal with it especially for one hour i mean it's the first time obviously the first time we've had coaching is to, to go through something like this so it's definitely interesting to, to see once we be able to get on i mean just to see how he's kind of been able to handle this, this entire situation with the, the season just coming to such an abrupt end. Here at the Sunner Game Day segment this week is Michigan beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News as we uh, discuss uh, all of the events unfolding in the last couple of weeks and, of course, what's happening now. How the season ended or didn't end, James, will be with us all for a very long time. Even hard to reflect and break down the season right now. But let's take a few minutes and, and try to do that. Jawan Howard, your thoughts on his first year as the head man? Yeah, I think I think he did a solid job. I mean, just given like the roster he inherited. I mean, obviously Michigan lost their their top three scoring players from last season, and Jordan Poole, Ignis Vegas, and Charles Matthews. And then he took over a roster that didn't have like a you know a bona fide NBA player, like a guy you knew who was going to be you know heading to the NBA this season. I mean, a lot of people thought Isaiah Livers was going to be that guy, but he obviously dealt with you know three different lower body injuries throughout the year. I mean, Juwan Howard had to he had to deal with you know multiple injuries. I mean, he had to deal with you know Franz Wagner's injury at the beginning of the season when he missed the first four games with his uh, fractured right wrist. He had to deal with the incident with Xavier Simpson and and his suspension. If you think back to it, I think they only had the, the starting lineup that they had with, you know, Xavier Simpson, John Teske, Isaiah Levers, Franz Wagner, and uh, Eli Brooks. They only started, you know, that unit only started Taylor 16 of the, the 31 games that they had. So, I mean, half the season he, you know, he had to kind of navigate without the probably the starting lineup that he wanted to use. And I mean, it was, I think a lot of people, maybe if you looked at it, you probably thought it was going to be a roller coaster type system. And I mean, it kind of was, I mean, they had their highs obviously with, you know, the, the seven and zero start and then, you know, them kind of just blitzing um, their way through the, you know, the battle for Atlanta tournament in the Bahamas. And I think that kind of, you know, I think that raised everyone's expectations and everything exponentially when they kind of just run through, uh, you know, the teams like North Carolina and Zaga. So I think that kind of raised the bar, a lot with this team and then obviously I think the Big Ten was much more competitive and, and deeper than I think a lot of people maybe even thought they were and it was arguably the best conference in the nation and they still you know I mean they finished ninth you know in in Big Ten play with a 10 and 10 record and I think you know people probably weren't too pleased with that but I mean I mean you think about how many games Isaiah Livers during Big Ten play I mean it kind of obviously is a big blow to the team but I mean just for me personally going into the season my, I mean my expectation for Juwan Howard I felt like if you know, they get 18 to 20 wins and they make the NCAA tournament and they go 500 in Big Ten play. I thought it was going to be a solid season. And obviously they went 500 um, in Big Ten play. They got 19 wins. I mean, obviously they could have had a chance for more given that, you know, they never got to play a game in the Big Ten tournament. And I think before the Big Ten tournament started in most bracket projections, they were a six seed. So it's not like they were on the bubble um, at all. So I, they were more than likely going to have their name called for the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, I thought I thought it was, I mean, given, like I said, given the roster that he inherited in the situation, I felt like 
Juwan Howard did a pretty good job. I mean, all things considered, his first season. And like I said, I mean, we never know. I guess you could say it's like it's incomplete just because, I mean, a lot of, you know, uh, season success is based on what happens in the postseason, and obviously that didn't happen. So, I mean, there's no telling. I mean, obviously, if Michigan makes a run in the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament, you know, a lot, a lot of people might, you know, have more praise for Juwan Howard. But, yeah, I mean, just given what happened in the regular season, I think he did a, a pretty solid job, just like I said, just given the – the roster that he inherited and all the all the adversity that he had to kind of navigate uh, throughout the season. Well, Juwan assembled his staff in a very short amount of time. We know he got hired late in the process, and it appeared that they meshed well with him and the players. Your thoughts on what really is a very talented staff, James? That was probably the biggest key. I think that's the biggest key for any first-year coach is kind of is the, is the staff you build around you. Obviously, you don't want to get a staff with a lot of yes-men, and I think to Juwan's credit, I think when he was building his staff, I think he, he kind of looked at himself and I think he kind of realized what his strengths and weaknesses were. And I think that's why a lot of a lot of people commended him early on, you know, even before the season started for him, the addition he made in hiring Phil Martelli, because for some guys that might not be, they might be hesitant to, to do something like that because, you know, the, you know, you have a guy in Phil Martelli who has you know, no shortage of head coaching experience, you know, almost, almost 20 years at St. Joe's. People might be leery to bring a guy on their staff like that because you might think, oh, this guy's, you know, going to second guess a lot of the stuff that you do, or, you know, the guy just has so much more experience than you. I think that helped him, you know, immensely, you know, having a guy who, you know, run a program and he's so familiar with navigating everything that comes with, you know, being a college basketball coach and not just, you know, the X's and O's on the court, but obviously everything you have to do with off the court in recruiting and in the academic requirements with, you know, student athletes. And then bringing, bringing, you know, one of, or retaining one of, uh, you know, the past uh, assistance from Zombie Line staff, I think, was, was critical, you know, and obviously bringing Saudi Washington, who had the most experience of the three assistants from last season. Um, I think that was vital in him, you know, and having Saudi kind of be that bridge that kind of bridges the gap between, you know, the uh, the new coaching staffs. And obviously he had pre-existing relationships already built with, you know, a lot of the guys on the roster. And he's obviously been, he was a a big component to, you know, Michigan success, you know, on the recruiting trail in recent years. So I think those moves were were huge in playing a role in, in uh, Juwan Howard's success. And obviously with, with Saudi too, having the experience and background of, of, you know, the Big Ten and already knowing, you know, having that familiarity with, uh, you know, the Big Ten teams. Because, I mean, if you don't bring back Saudi and you bring back, you know, if you bring in just like a different coach, it would have been interesting to see how the Big Ten season would have played out. But, uh, yeah, I think Juwan Howard, I mean, obviously he deserves a lot of credit for the for the staff he had and, and as has been reported that, you know, Saudi Washington was Western Michigan uh, was maybe interested in him and he was a candidate for the head coaching vacancy there. But he's already said, you know, that he is uh, probably going to stay on and, and return to Michigan, which is already kind of uh, good news for Michigan heading into next year. But yeah, the, the staff that Juwan built, um, there was a pretty good balance of, you know, just experience. And obviously with Howard Isley, too, another NBA guy that was uh, coming to the college ranks with him. It was, it was a pretty good balance of, you know, college and, and pro experience. And it, it seemed like they all they all meshed well and kind of showed with uh, what they were able to do this season. Well, John Teske and Xavier Simpson, the two winningest players in program history, are now gone. It ended so abruptly. The impact, though, they made on Michigan basketball, uh, when we have time to sort it out properly, is going to be remembered forever, though, isn't it? You just think of the, the, the marks that they left. I mean, obviously, they both were didn't play a, a ton their, their freshman season, but obviously their sophomore year on, they, you know, they were playing key roles for this team. And, uh, yeah, you, you can't take that away from them. That's, that's a mark that they'll, that they'll have, and it's going to be tough to, to break. I mean, 100, 108 wins all time. They definitely left their mark on, on this program. And, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing, though, is you think to, like, kind of what this team was and its, and its identity, and you can kind of see, like, how it, 
this team took on the personality of Xavier Simpson the last couple of years. You know, they, they kind of took on his hard nose playing with that chip. Uh, they were more of a, a defensive team, I guess, you know, the, when they were really good the last couple of years. And that, that was kind of, you know, taking on, you know, Xavier Simpson, his pit bull mentality. Um, and that's what made them so good. But yeah, I mean, obviously the, the impact that they had on this program is going to stand for a while. Just because, like I said, you know, the 108 wins, that's going to be a tough mark for any anyone to beat. But obviously, you're going to see the, the impact that they left on this team, obviously what they've done, kind of leading the the younger guys. I mean, it's going to be a mark that it's going to carry on. You're going to see next year, too. I mean, a lot of the younger guys, too, when we talk to them this season, you know, they talk about, you know, how John and Xavier, you know, the job they did leading them. That's kind of the thing that, you know, it's kind of one of those things that's passed on just from year to year. You have your, your older guys, you know, showing you the ways. And so one thing that Xavier and John got to see, you know, early on with guys, you know, like, you know, it's like Mo and Derek Walton and Zach Irvin and them, you know, kind of showing them, you know, what it takes to win at a high level. Um, and I mean, obviously, Xavier and John have been able to carry on that winning tradition, obviously, at a at a high clip. And I think that's going to be something, you know, that they passed on and that you'll see that's going to rub on to, you know, these guys that are going to, you know, have to take the reins and uh, carry, step up as leaders next season. Do you think either one of those two players has uh, any chance at the next level, if not the NBA, maybe somewhere in, in the Euro League? Yeah, I think both guys are going to be able to have, you know, pro careers. For Xavier, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be in the NBA just because, I mean, the NBA is just such a, a league that values facing and shooting and that's kind of you know Xavier's big weakness even though I mean he shot the three-point ball he improved in that area and he shot like a career high I think it was 36 percent or something like that this season so he showed improvement but I think that's just going to be his biggest detriment to his NBA chances but I think he could still have a successful you know career overseas for sure and then John Teske he there's a chance he could probably be uh he could catch on to an NBA team I mean the biggest thing with the NBA is you just have to kind of have an NBA skill and Teske could be a you know that five man who could who could stretch the floor and offer spacing for an NBA team you know maybe towards the end of a bench but I think I think both of those guys those guys more than likely though I don't know how much this season they really helped their uh, draft stock I mean, Xavier Simpson, obviously they played a lot in pick and roll situations. That what, that's what a lot of you know, the NBA is. So that could help his chances. I mean, just because he's so efficient and he has a lot of experience in, you know, passing out of pick and rolls and setting up offense and all that. And then John Tessie, he could, he could obviously benefit from, you know, Juwan Howard's contact, obviously, as, as a big man. But the biggest thing is just with the uncertainty with uh, the draft workouts that are going to happen and with the postseason getting cut short, I mean, that kind of took away their chances of, you know, really showing that they could lead a team and kind of, helping boost their draft stock, you know, at the most important time of the year. So that didn't help them. And then just like I said, with the uncertainty of, with draft workouts, they might not be able to get to go in front of teams for individual workouts and kind of help their cases. So I think a lot of teams are going to just have to look at the film of, of what they did this past season. And I don't know, you know, how much it really helped just because I think John Tessie kind of had a rough big 10 season. And, you know, Xavier Simpson, I mean, he, he, he took on a much larger role, but like I said, his shooting, it improved this season, but it's still, I don't know, you know, teams might still be a little leery with it just because he hasn't been a, a consistent and proven that he's been a you know kind of a knockdown three-point shooter so definitely I think both of those guys are going to have pro careers somewhere I just don't know if it's going to be in the NBA and I just think with the NBA combine more than likely going to be canceled and draft workouts more than likely going to be or that pre-draft workout is going to be severely limited I just think it, it kind of hurts their chances that you know them kind of helping helping their cases to kind of uh you know boost their standings with with NBA teams when you look back on this season, James, and I know you probably haven't had much of a chance to do that yet, who are some of the other players that surprised you with what they contributed to Michigan basketball? I think probably the biggest surprise was Austin Davis, just because if you look at his, his career and how everything unfolded, I mean, last season he had a chance to kind of crack the rotation. 
as that backup five, and that was like the biggest question mark for Michigan. It was kind of that revolving door all season. Um, I think a lot of people maybe just threw him to the side going into this year, just thinking, or I think even after last season, you know, people thought he was going to be a, a guy that was going to transfer just because he kind of fell out of the rotation and kind of fell out of the pecking order and thought he was maybe just going to try to go elsewhere to get playing time. And then and then this year, I mean, he started the season behind, uh, you know, John Teske and Colin Castleton, and he's kind of the third backup big, and he, he kind of started the season that way. And then, you know, once Big Ten play kind of picked up, he kind of emerged as that, uh, as that backup big, and he was a very reliable and he kind of even the stints where he came in I mean as opposed to last year because last year when he went in it was almost like they could barely hold the lead anytime he went in the game and then this year it was like they kind of built on the lead when he was in um there was even stretches where he was playing better than John Teske so I think for me the biggest surprise was uh was Austin Davis without a doubt and then several other guys had had pretty good seasons too that kind of took on larger roles like Brandon Johns. I mean, obviously he was playing out of position last year at the backup five, like I said, because that was kind of a revolting door and he kind of got to show off his perimeter shooting and he had those, he showed he could uh, come in and play a larger role, obviously stepping in for Isaiah Livers when he was injured. So I think that helped him a lot. And I think that's going to help him going into next season. And Eli Brooks, obviously uh, he improved a lot. I mean, obviously he went from a guy that was, you know, just playing a backup role last season and having to be a key guy this season, being a, a main piece in the starting role. And, you know, he was arguably probably Michigan's, uh, you know, one of his, their better defenders this season, maybe if, if not their best defender. And the thing with him is he was always solid on defense. And he kind of had his, his ups and downs with offense. He kind of had those stretches where he was kind of going quiet and then he'd kind of just have that outburst, you know, with a 20-point game or something against a team. Those guys all took strides. The same thing with Dave DeJulius. He kind of showed that he could come off the bench and kind of just heat up in a hurry with his offense. The thing with him is he's probably got to show that he could facilitate and be kind of a pass-first guard for next season. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot of guys that, that took strides, took step forwards, but I think like in terms of like maybe like the most improved guy, I think probably Austin Davis would probably get my vote. And obviously that, that already earned him a fifth year for next season. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone's going to argue that point. Well, one thing that the staff is still doing, as I understand, is recruiting. I mean, sort of. Um, they cannot do in-person visits. But as it stands today, Juwan Howard has put together a phenomenal class. And it sounds like he's not done yet, James. No, I think we're all waiting for the, the decision with uh, Joshua Christopher, the five-star guard out of California. And that's been the, the news Michigan fans have been waiting for, for for quite some time. Obviously, Josh has a, a Final Four of uh, Michigan, UCLA, Arizona State, and Missouri. For quite some time, it seems like Michigan has emerged as the leader, and it seems like it's really just down to Michigan and, and Arizona State, which is where his uh, his brother plays at. But yeah, that's that's kind of the the one big decision that Michigan has been waiting on, and it seems like Michigan is uh is the leader for him. And obviously, if they get him, he's going to be, I believe, he's going to be the highest rated recruit that Michigan has ever landed in the in the recruiting rankings era. So that's going to be huge, and obviously that would give Michigan a second five-star in this recruiting class along with Isaiah Todd. And there's another guy that they're kind of in the running for, but I don't think they're expected to land, and that's a five-star for Greg Brown, who I think a lot of people are expecting him to pick either. I think he has Texas or, or Memphis or Auburn. I think they're one of those three guys. I think Texas is kind of the leader for him. Uh, and I know Michigan's a finalist, but I don't think Michigan's uh, chances of landing him are as well as they are for uh, Josh Christopher. But those are the two guys that, they, that they're kind of still in the running for, but I think like I said, Josh Christopher is the one guy that uh, Michigan's probably uh, cautiously optimistic that they're going to land. And obviously, if, if they do land him, that's going to give them six guys in this uh, incoming recruiting class. It's going to lead to, you know, it's going to have to force some guys out of this from the, the roster. That means they're going to have to have at least two guys transfer out if they bring in these six guys, just because obviously you can only have 13 scholarships. And as it stands right now, um, if every guy returns, then with the five-man recruiting class they have, they're already at 
at 14 scholarships. So they're already one over. So it's going to be interesting to see, like I said, if, if they land Josh Christopher, because that means, uh, you know, other dominoes are going to have to go into effect and you're going to have to, you have to see at least two guys are going to have to transfer out just to, for Michigan to be able to make room for um, all these guys. And obviously another domino is, uh, you know, the, the NBA decisions that, you know, Isaiah Livers and, and Franz Wagner are going to have to make. You still have to make those decisions too. So it's a lot of moving parts and a lot of dominoes are going to have to fall. But, yeah, and as far as recruiting, the biggest thing is uh, just waiting to see what Josh Christopher does. But more, I would honestly be surprised if he doesn't take Michigan just because from everything I've heard and heard, um, Michigan has been the – the favorite, you know, over the over the past month. When our new normal gets underway, and we hope that's soon, and we start looking ahead to next season for Michigan basketball, there are a lot of reasons to be excited, aren't there? Oh, for sure. I mean, if they if they obviously land, like I said, if they land Josh Christopher and they land, and they land Isaiah Todd, I mean, that's going to be huge. You're going to have two five stars coming in, and then if they if they return Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers, I mean, you're going to the expectations for this team are going to be, I mean, they're going to be expected to compete, you know, for the Big Ten. I mean, they're going to have several all Big Ten caliber players in, in Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers, and they could presumably be a, a top ten uh, preseason team. So I think the expectations for this team, if, if they return everyone, if they return like, you know, their key stars, if they return, you know, Isaiah Livers, Franz Wagner, and Eli Brooks, um, they're going to have no shortage of experience, obviously, with guys playing bigger roles this season in, in Brandon Johns and, and David Julius and Austin Davis. Uh, you're going to bring back, you know, plenty of experience. You're going to bring, but you're going to bring in plenty of uh, talent if they get Josh Christopher. Then they already have, you know, their five man class. They're going to have Isaiah Todd, Hunter Dickinson, Terrence Williams, Zeb Jackson, Jace Howard. Like you're bringing in an influx of talent, and you're going to have a lot of, you know, key pieces returning with with experience. I think there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, optimism heading into next season. But like I said, it's still a lot of moving parts, and it's going to be a lot of stuff that will clear up over this next month or so as to see how this roster shapes up. Right now, I mean, if they if they bring back, you know, all their all their key guys and they bring in all this talent that they're that they're slotted to bring in, without a doubt, I think the expectations for next season are going to going to be quite high. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan is a is a preseason top ten team that's you know going to be expected to maybe be one of the favorites to to win the Big Ten next season. Well, final question for you, James, and the answer is one that we will never know. But Michigan was reeling a bit. We all remember heading into the Big Ten tournament. I think lost three of our last four uh, to very good teams, I might add. But do you think this team still had the pieces to make a good run in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it was one of those things where anything was possible. It seems like during the season, as we saw, they kind of had their ups and downs, and it, they kind of just flipped the switch at that one point where they won, you know, five in a row and seven of eight. You never know what what could have happened in the in the Big Ten tournament. They might have been able to flip the switch right then and kind of make a run. So it's one of those things where, where we'll never know. But I mean, the one thing, like looking back to past seasons, obviously Michigan, they, they had to reach the Big Ten championship game each of the last three years. And if you look at those three years, they kind of, each of those seasons, they kind of ended with momentum. They kind of had like one, you know, like five in a row or seven of eight or, or something like that. They had built some sort of momentum heading into the postseason. And that was the one thing that they were kind of lacking this year. Like, as you mentioned, they, they had lost three or four heading into things. It was going to be interesting to see how that kind of played out you know, that they weren't kind of, you know, riding high, so to speak, heading into the postseason. But I mean, without a doubt, I think this team was capable of flipping the switch and kind of making a run in the Big Ten tournament. And uh, and obviously the NCAA tournament just all comes down to matchups. So, I mean, without seeing the bracket, it's kind of hard to tell what they'd be capable of. I think just given the roster, I think maybe the Sweet 16 probably would have been the ceiling for this team. 
I don't know if they would have been able to to make it further than that. But yeah, like I said, I mean, with, without seeing the bracket and seeing the matchups, um, obviously that plays a huge part in team success in, in the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's it's yeah, like you said, it's one thing we'll never know, but. I mean, without a doubt, I think this team was was capable of at least making some sort of noise in both the the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament. But uh, I think this is just going to be one of those postseasons that that will always have an asterisk next to it, and we'll always just kind of wonder, uh, you know, what if and and kind of what could have been. With us here on our game day segment this week, looking at the current state of Michigan basketball is and how abruptly the season ended, has been James Hawkins from the Detroit News. James, always a pleasure to uh, have you on the show. Hopefully, uh, the next time we chat. It will be happier times, and we'll have some good stuff to talk about when it comes to Michigan basketball. So be careful, be safe, and we look forward to that next visit. All right, thanks. Stay safe. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. On Quick Hits today, once again, really nothing new to report, as will be the case for some time, I'm afraid. We'll do our best in the coming weeks to bring you a show that will at least take your mind off of all our worldly troubles, if only just for a while. I hope all of you stay safe and well during the coming weeks. None of us have ever experienced anything like this in our lifetime, and I think when we get a handle on this virus and turn it around, the list of things we appreciate in this life will be much longer than we ever imagined. I wish you all the best in the coming week and remind you that our weekly programming will continue through April. Then we'll go on our summer schedule of two shows a month from May through July. Next week, as fate would have it, I'm actually on vacation. Nowhere to go, though. So I'll probably just kick back. Next week's show will be a bit shorter, probably a Michigan Man commentary on whatever comes to mind. That does it for another show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until we meet again, may God bless each and every one of you during the coming days. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Hang in there, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls, at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!